Well, amen. Thank you, choir, orchestra, for leading us in that uh, time of worship. And that's a great, great song that we've just sang. Thank you, Chris, for that solo part on there also. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 will be my text for today. And I want to speak about the responsibilities of church members. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Let me just uh, give you a little bit of a recap uh, about what happened Friday night. We had our men's conference Friday night. Rich Wingo and uh, Scott Dawson were here, and they spoke to us in two sessions. We had a meal together of fine barbecue and pulled pork and chicken and all of that good stuff and sausage and smoked mac and cheese and all this kind of stuff. But we had a tremendous time together as the Word of God was preached and we were challenged there were several men who gave their lives to Jesus. There were several men and boys who uh, confessed sin and, and, and began to walk with Jesus fresh. There was one of our young men, and he will make this public in the next service. Uh, he was playing the drums today, and he's got to go lead Connect Group right now, who surrendered to ministry. And so just a tremendous time this weekend as God worked in the lives of our, our people, and I am grateful. Our altars were filled with men getting things right with the Lord. And so I'm, I'm just grateful for what God did in that special time uh, on Friday night. There was probably close to around 300 men here that night. And, and just God moved among us. And I'm grateful. Thank you for your prayers. I'm thankful for all our volunteers who helped put that together. And who spent that time before the Lord praying over that event. It was a powerful time. Well, I want to ask you now, if you would, to pray with me, and then we're going to study for a few minutes this morning what it looks like to be a church member. Now, there's no possible way to uh, talk about all the different aspects of a church member, but here's some things I believe Lord, the Lord led me to this subject, led me to this text, and led me to these three specific things we're going to talk about from this text today for us to understand as the people of God who come together uh, as a local church. So let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, <clears throat> how thankful I am for the day that you've given us. I'm thankful, Lord, for what you've done this weekend. I'm thankful for my church family. I love these people so dearly and so deeply, and I'm grateful that I get to do life with them and that I get to serve you together with them, that you've made us a family. And now, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand some things that you require of us as, as your people. And I pray that you'll give me the strength and my weakness and inability. I pray you'll clothe me with ability that comes from you. I pray you'll help me to be clear and concise. I pray you'll help me, Father, to be a mouthpiece that you use. And I pray that you will give to me that clarity of mind and clarity of speech. And I pray for you, Lord, to help me to speak with compassion and with convincing and with conviction. And I ask you to open our hearts to receive the word you have for us. I pray that distractions would be removed. And I pray that you will use this time to strengthen us. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what does it mean to be a church member? Now, just to be a member, have your name on a roll of a church, there's different ways that different congregations do that. Some... They just, if you show up week after week, then you automatically become a member. For others, there is membership requirements. There is a, a class 
that you go through and kind of gives the expectations of what it means to be a church member. Now, we've done those things in the past, and we're working on that right now. Matter of fact, uh, Matt's getting some things together, and, and uh, others have I had some lessons. I preached some, a series on that, and, and Jennifer's kind of gone back and redid those into lesson form. And so we're working on a, an orientation-type class that all of our church members when a new member comes in, they go through that. It explains what it means and what the responsibilities of a church member is. And that, that's important. In some churches, it's just you respond and request membership at invitation time or uh, you contact church leadership for that. But let me just say to you, first and foremost, to be a member of the church, you have to be a saved person. <laughs> uh, that is, you have called upon Jesus Christ in faith and repentance to be your Lord and Savior, and you have become regenerated, born again, converted. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are redeemed of the Lord. You are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that makes you, first and foremost, a member of the church universal. Sometimes you'll hear the term church with a capital C. And what's meant by that is the church universal. That's that's every Christian all over the world, the entire body of Christ on earth, and that's what we call the church universal. But now listen, the church universal it would never be seen if it were not for the local church. It is the local church that's talked about more in Scripture than any other aspect of the church. Matter of fact, the very word church itself means, it's a Greek word, ekklesiad, it means to gather or to assemble. And so every member of the universal church should be a member of a local church, a congregation of believers that gathers together on a regular basis every week. And they, they gather together to worship the Lord. They gather to hear the Word of God. So they are strengthened in their devotion to Jesus Christ. And they, and they benefit from the Word of truth. They benefit from that fellowship they have. And they leave to live their lives in every aspect in the name of Jesus and to be a witness for Christ in their community and to collectively, as a body of believers, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. They want to be a partner in advancing the gospel of Jesus to the world. And so what you do is you, uh, you become a member. You become connected to a, a local congregation, and that's the place that you're going to to dig in and you're going to grow and you're going to serve and, and no matter rough patches, smooth patches, you're hanging in there with your, fa your church family to advance the gospel of Jesus. Now sometimes people will say, well, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to be a member uh, of a church. Well, what I would tell you is, although there's not an explicit statement that says, thus saith the Lord, you shall beeth a church membereth, uh, everything in the Word of God uh, is an explicit instruction to be a part of a local church. Matter of fact, there are things in Scripture you cannot do unless you're a member of a local church. For instance, you cannot love and bear with each other, as the Word of God says we should as the people of God, without doing life together without assembling together on a regular basis, without working together, without serving together, that that's where you learn to, uh, to bear with one another. That is, you, you put up with each other. Uh, you learn to love when sometimes we act unlovable. You cannot do that unless you are doing life with people and serving and you're, you're gathering with them on a regular basis at church. Scripture 
tells us that we're to submit to spiritual leaders. You cannot do that unless you're part of a local church. You cannot hear uh, the, the teaching of the Word and follow direction and be a part of the flock of God and that is led by servant leaders that are placed there by, uh, by the Lord Himself, appointed by the Holy Spirit as the Scripture teaches. That cannot happen unless we're gathering together as the people of God. Scripture tells us to submit to one another. How can we submit to one another and work together to do the kingdom work without gathering together and being together? Scripture tells us to use our gifts and to serve. How can we do that? Because the Bible says our spiritual gifts and our service helps others around us. It helps other Christians grow. Well, that can't happen unless we're gathering together on a regular basis, and that helps us, that builds us up in the faith. Now, these are just but a few things that we cannot do unless we're involved in a local church. Now, some look at church membership like a club, and they'll, they'll think of it as, how can this benefit me? And so they go into it like any other thing that they maybe pay money to be a member of. They want it to benefit them in some way. And so church to them is a benefit to them, and they, they just want to, that's part of their life. It's something that's going to be an asset to them, maybe helpful to their family at some point. And so when there is a, an expectation that they have not met, then they're ready to go shop around and find one that does. Uh, and so it, they, they treat the church like their local coffee shop or theater or shopping center or a, a service person that they use to help do repairs in their home. If they'll benefit them, then it's okay. But if the, the first time you don't meet my expectations, then I just bolt and I just separate from that. That, that is not a biblical view of church Membership. What we need to understand is there is clear responsibility and accountability when we're involved in church. And we need a fresh look at biblical church membership. And so today, for just a few moments, I want to talk about this briefly, the biblical responsibility of church members. Look with me in Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, or his humility, and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed 
to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, one thing I noticed in Paul's writing is he is an expert of a run-on sentence, isn't he? <laughs> he just continues this. this I, can just, I can just imagine the Spirit of God so on him, it's just pouring out of him what he's writing to the church. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus from Rome. He's in Rome because while he was in Jerusalem, there were some Jews from Asia that accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, which was a big no-no. And so the, these Jews who really hated Paul, they didn't like the fact he was preaching Jesus. So they saw him there and they stirred up the crowds and told this lie about him and they grabbed a hold of him and they pulled him out. They were going to kill him and the Romans came and rescued him and they tried to examine him and find out you know, what it is that, that's going on here and why are they acting like this. And he was in custody then for a long period of time. Finally, he pleaded his case to Caesar, was sent to Rome. So he's awaiting trial, awaiting his hearing before uh, Caesar there in, in Rome. And by the Spirit's inspiration, he wrote down four letters, four books of the Bible at that time, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so he's writing this <clears throat> to the church at Ephesus. Paul was there in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. He, a great and effective door, the Bible says, was opened up to him. The book of Acts says that all who were in Asia heard the gospel while he was there in the province of Asia in the city of Ephesus. And in this letter, he spends the first three chapters talking about the doctrine of salvation. And then he switches gears in chapter 4, and he goes from talking about the doctrine of salvation to the practical application of that doctrine of salvation. When a person is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, how are they now to conduct their lives? And that's what he does in chapters 4 through 6. In verse 1, he says, I beseech you, I urge you, as a prisoner of the Lord, as a, a pun there, because he was in prison because of his testimony for Christ, but also every day of his life he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He had submitted himself to the lordship of Jesus, and he followed the Lord in whatever the Lord commanded him to do. And so he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. He urges this church to walk Worthy of their calling. The word walk there, the Greek word peripateo, means to conduct life. So you conduct your life in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, what is the calling? That speaks of the salvation call. God has called them to salvation. They responded to the call of God. They are, they are saved people. And now, since they have responded to God's saving call, there is a conduct, there is a way that we live that is worthy of this gift that we've been given. And so he takes that time in these three chapters then to explain that. In chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 14, he gives practical instruction on how to kill sin and how to put on righteousness. He talks about putting on the new man and putting to death 
the old behavior that you don't walk or don't conduct life like the Gentiles, lost people that used to live their lives. You, you live differently now. And then in chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, he talks about how they're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he gets into how they're to have holy marriages and holy family lives and how they're to put on the armor of God. But now in verses 1 through 16, there's something interesting that I find here. He starts out this instruction on telling them how to conduct their lives as a believer, as a Christian, as one who's been saved by giving them instruction on the involvement of the local assembly of believers. That's what he's talking about in verses 1 through 16. He's talking about how they gather up, how the leadership of the church pours into the congregation to equip them for the work of ministry, how everybody's been given special gifts that they're to use to advance the gospel of Jesus and to serve and help grow the body of Christ in the community. And so that, that's what's being talked about in those first 16 uh, verses. And, and it really is telling because one of the most basic expressions of the Christian life is to be involved deeply in your church. And that, that's just one of the most basic things that, that, that's going to be indicative of the Christian life. Now, in these verses, I see three things that are required of church members. Number one, church members have a responsibility to maintain unity. Now, that makes perfect sense because, you see, we assemble together. The very word church, remember, means to assemble together. It's the assembly of believers those who've been redeemed, we come together. We come together to worship. We come together to grow. We come together to, to serve. But we come together to be encouraged and renewed in our devotion to Christ. And then we disperse to go take the gospel to everyone. So there needs to be a unity in that, in that, in that body of believers. Division will hinder the growth of the church. It will hinder the mission of the church when, there is, when there's division that's in the, in the local church. And so uh, that, that division is caused by carnality. That division is called by, caused by immaturity. When those things are, are true in, in persons, then what happens is there will be division within, that, uh, within those believers. And it wrecks the mission of the church. The Lord Jesus said this in John chapter 17, verse 21. He's praying for his disciples. And he said that they all, <clears throat> that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So he's, he's praying that they be one, just as he and the Father are one. And their oneness, that is their unity, their togetherness, is going to be a sign to the world that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by God. This is why... The enemy does everything he can to attack the unity of a local church. He will do everything he can to sow discord and division among the people of God because when there is division, when there is fussing and fighting, there is more attention given to that than there is the advancement of the gospel of Christ, the growth of other believers. There is more attention given to that than there is the work of God. And so what happens is there is not a place conducive for growing up believers when there is such division and strife among the people of God. 
So the first responsibility given here in this text is that church members maintain unity. Now I want you to notice something in verse 3. The Word of God says that we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This unity does not come from us. It's not something that we manufacture. We're not the source of it. The unity in a local church comes from the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's the Holy Spirit who dwells here right now in this moment that connects us together as the people of God. The job of the church is to maintain that. It is to keep that. It is to guard that unity that the Spirit of God produces in the church. Well, how do we do that? I think there's two things said here in this text that help us do that. Number one, that is we're to have a Christ-like conduct. And that's what verses 1 and 2, or mainly verses... Um, Verse 1 talks about with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another. Those are Christ-like characteristics. Lowliness means humility. It means we're not consumed with self. We think less about self. That's what humility is. You think less about yourself. Pride is all we can think about is self. Gentleness means Meekness, it's strength under control. It's responding graciously, even when offended, even when a, a nice response is not deserved from a human standpoint, a nice response is given. It's strength under control. It's meekness. It's not weakness. I'm going to tell you right now, it, strength, uh, a meekness is a, a sign of strength is what that is. And so we, we see that in this text. That's a Christ-like characteristic. Long-suffering, that means to be patient with people. We're to bear with one another in love, the Word of God says. That means to put up with one another. And so we treat people well despite how we're, we're treated. We're going to put up with the bumps and the bruises. We're going to put up with the warts and the frustrations and the aggravations and, and people getting on our nerves and even people offending us. We're going to put up with that in love. That doesn't mean we don't have conversations about that. It does not mean that we talk those things out and we even, you know, hey, look, here's what's going on here and, and let's get this straightened out. It does not mean that we don't do those things, but it means that we, that we bear with each other. We hang in there with each other. We don't just cut and run and, and write people off that we continue uh, to love one another. It means that we treat each other the same. We don't show favoritism. Sometimes people do that. Sometimes people will show lots of affection to one person and not the next person. And, and so we show this, this favoritism. That's, we're not to do that. We're to love people regardless. This means also that we're not going to jump to conclusions about people. And we can do that very easily, can't we? You'll do your head like that because we can. We'll, we'll make these judgments about people. We'll think, well, so-and-so's stuck up. You know, they just don't, they don't talk. You know, they don't you know, think they're better than me or whatever. We don't, you don't know that's what they're thinking. They may be the kind of person who gets deep in thought and they walk down the hallway of the church and maybe don't even think about who's around them. They're too focused on something else. So that's just not part of their personality. And, and so because they don't, meet our expectations, then we start judging them and say, well, they're just stuck up. So then what we'll do is we'll go talk about them behind their back. And we'll tell other people. And other people will say, yeah, I see that too. And so you begin to poison other people. And what's happening there is you're disrupting the unity of the Spirit. 
because it will affect how you treat that person, how you want to work with that person in those things. And so this, that, that is unlike the characteristics that are taught here in this scripture. It means we'll put to death jealousy and envy of others. Sometimes we get jealous because of relationships others have, or we'll, we'll get jealous because you know, they think you know, they get more attention than we do, or they get the better jobs than we get, or whatever it may be, and we'll, we'll begin to get envious of them, and, and it will disrupt the unity of the Spirit. <coughs> we are to forgive. And sometimes somebody offends us, and, we never, and they never know it. They never intended to. Maybe it was something we took wrongly. You know, maybe they wasn't thinking right, and so we get mad. They never know that they've offended us. <coughs> we have a complaint against them. And the Bible says if anyone has a complaint against another, let him forgive as Christ forgave us. That's what the Word of God says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Sometimes uh, we uh, get bitter toward people. Maybe, listen, maybe there's somebody even in our church right now, that when you see them, you have bad feelings toward them. And maybe that person has no idea. They don't know why that you have those bad feelings. As far as they're concerned, you know, y'all are right with each other, but you, you see them and it's something you've perceived or something that you've taken offense to over the years, whatever it may be. And when you see that person, it just stirs up angst within you. It stirs up some anger and some bitterness. I'm going to tell you something, what you ought to do in the name of Jesus. You need to confess that before God, lay that at the altar of God, and walk away from that in Jesus' name and love that person. Because you're giving the enemy a foothold in your life. You, you've got to get freed up from that. You might hinder, you might hinder revival here. I'm going to tell you, this is what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about this a good bit here lately because I've been seeing what's going on and watching what's happening at Asbury. And you're seeing this spreading different college campuses now. Sanford University there, there's, there, there's a, a move going on where there and students are gathering in chapel for hour upon hour to worship and confess sin and these kind of things. And, and, and it's spreading. Lee University's seen some of this. And, and, and I, I keep thinking to myself, you know, here's the Word of God. The Word of God says we're to, we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, the Spirit of God is creating unity, and if we, if we, can, if we refuse to maintain that and we don't act the way we're supposed to, it will quench the Spirit of God and it will hinder revival in the church also. And so we, we have to let that go. And... And it's freeing when that happens. The Word of God goes on to tell us here in chapter 4 that if we are angry at one another and we, and we start to let corrupt things be said about others and, and we're malicious toward others, then verse 30 says the Spirit of God is going to be grieved. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says don't quench the Spirit. That word quench means to douse a flame. That's what's happening in many churches today because of division within the, within the church. There's a, there's a quenching of the Holy Spirit. No wonder there's no revival there. If we confess our sins and we get right with each other and get right with God, then you begin to see the Spirit of God move with power uh, in, in the church. So the number one thing here is to maintain this unity. We're to conduct our lives in a Christ-like manner. But then secondly, notice this in verses 4 through 6. We've got to recognize our common identity. 
we need to understand something about one another. <clears throat> We're all part of the same body, the body of Christ. We, we all partake of one spirit, the Holy Spirit. We all have one hope. We all have the same Lord. We have the same uh, saving faith. We're part of one baptism. We're part of one Father. I, we have one Father. That's the Lord God of heaven who is above all and through all and in all, the Scripture says. That means He's above all. That means He's sovereign over us. And we submit to Him. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for Him. We're to obey Him. He, he's through all. That means He works through us. He chooses to work through us. He's in all. That means in the person of the Spirit, He is indwelling in us. And that, that's an incredible thought. That's what we have in common. People from all different backgrounds, all different upbringings, uh, all different ethnicities come together in one body with all of this in common, same Lord, same hope, same salvation, and we are part of the family of God, an eternal family. It is an honor to be a part of the family of God. It is an honor to be a part of a local church. It is a blessing to be a part of a local church. I could not make it without my church family. I need my church family. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote <clears throat> that we must re-grasp the idea of church membership as being the membership of the body of Christ and as the biggest honor <clears throat> which comes man's way in this world. Hey, if we're in the book of life, then we're part of an eternal family. What an honor it is. Church members are to work to maintain unity. A second responsibility is church members must be devoted to serve. And this speaks of being faithful <coughs> to the local church. It speaks of, of being loyal to the local church. Uh, <coughs> sometimes people church hop. And what I mean by that is they, it's just, you know, every, every two years... And the new wears off of where they've been, they've got to go find somewhere else to go. And, and so they'll say, well, there's a new season coming on. And so they try to cloak it all in spiritual language and they're, you know, while they're moving on. But the fact is they've never learned what it means to be a church member. Now, God does move people at times, and there's reasons for that. The number one reason you do that kind of stuff is when the Word of God is not being preached. But there, there are times when that happens. But, but you know, there is... That church hopping mentality. Others uh, get, get offended. Something doesn't go their way. And so they're ready to just cut and run. Somebody called them out on something. Somebody pointed out sin in their life and did so in a loving manner and helpful to them, but they didn't like it. They were offended by that. Or they didn't get their way about a situation. And so then they, they get mad. And then they'll, they'll make up every excuse in the world. They'll rationalize it every way. And they'll tell you every reason why they did except the real reason. Still others will come week after week and then they will never do anything else but just occupy a seat. When the Word of God tells us in verse 7 that each one of us is given a gift of God's grace that is to be used for the work of ministry. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 says this also. Verse 11 mentions some of those, <clears throat> some of those gifts. And those gifts there are apostles and prophets and, and, uh, and evangelists and, and pastors and teachers are mentioned there. And not all of those are just for church leaders. <clears throat> There's a form of apostleship that's like church planning and missionary work, but now the office of apostle, that doesn't exist anymore. That, that's gone after the first century. <clears throat> there are some people who can have the, the shepherding gift but might not be uh, a pastor. But I think what's happening here in this text is <clears throat> all those gifts <coughs> excuse me, are indicative of leadership. And so leaders in the church are given gifts and they teach the Word of God to the congregation and the Word of God begins to help grow the congregation <clears throat> as they apply it. They recognize their own spiritual gifts and, and they're equipped now to go do the work of ministry. Pastors don't do all the work. That was the mentality in churches uh, in the South for many, many years. It was just like, you know, the pastors, we pay them to go do all the work. They all do all the visiting. They all do this and that. And, and what <clears throat> churches should do is say, we want to make sure that those who are called provide overall leadership to the church, and they spend hour upon hour preparing to come and feed the congregation. That's what they ought to be doing. That's what every church ought to be demanding of their, of their pastors. And the whole body of believers ought to be doing ministry too. That's what the Word of God says here. You equip the, the body of believers, the congregation, to do the work uh, of ministry. God's designed the church for people to gather together and benefit from one another's gifts and and there, there are three things that this responsibility that I'm talking about right now requires of us. Number one, to stay faithful to the church. We don't cut and run. When a tough patch comes, we hang in there. When difficulties arise, we talk things out. But when some, a problem arises, we, we, we work it out. We pray through it and work it out. We stay faithful to the local church. We're committed to be a part of this local church family. <clears throat> Not here one week, somewhere else next week, another one next week, this and that, but we are, we are devoted and faithful to that local church family. But then secondly, it means that we use our gifts. We discover what those spiritual gifts are, and we do them. We plug in to serve. You benefit from other people's gifts. Other people benefit from your gifts. <clears throat> and so you... You, you attend, matter of fact, just sometimes being here and interacting with people, you use your gifts. But you find that area of service and you plug in, whether it's on a rotation every so many weeks or whatever, or every Sunday. Sometimes people say, well, I'll tell you right now, I, I just can't commit to a certain ministry because that, that means I, I want to be freed up to go somewhere on weekends if I need to and, and all of that. And so they just won't commit to any kind of service. It reminds me of what the Lord taught in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. There's the parable of the talents. Y'all familiar with that? In the parable of the talents, you know, there's, there's a, 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 a master who gives to his servants. He gives to one five talents. He gives to another two talents. He gives to another one. And, and he goes away for a while. He's committed these things to them, the talents, of, a, a measure of weight. So maybe there was a certain amount of gold or whatever he gave to them. And they, so they were to go invest that. 
The one who had five talents went and made five more. The one who had two went and made two more. <clears throat> the one who had one, <coughs> he went and he buried the one. <clears throat> so when his master came back, they're giving an account of what they've done. He rewarded the one who made five more, rewarded the one who made two more, and he admonished and he, and he punished the one who buried his talent. Now, what does that mean? Those talents represent opportunity, gifts, time that God has given to us to use for his glory. And here's what happens with some church members. They, they bury their talent instead of using it to multiply the kingdom of God. Your life will make a difference in a mighty way and in ways you won't even know how, how far-reaching the impact is if you will serve and use your gifts for God's glory. A third thing this calls us to do is to be involved in submission. We're going to submit to one another. We'll submit to our Leadership. We'll, we'll submit to the teaching of the Word coming from our leadership, and we'll do the, the Word of God. We will take responsibility for one another. We will minister to each other. We will help each other. <clears throat> we will come to agreement over things instead of allowing differences. See, in, in a church family, being of one mind and one heart doesn't mean we're always going to think alike. We're going to have different opinions. But we work through them to stay united to advance the gospel, what we do. Let me give an illustration to this. And Mr. Thomas Porter told me <clears throat> about this, this story. So I'm going to tell you about his father-in-law, Mr. Ernest Owens, Miss Flossie's dad, Miss Freda Toole's dad. Uh, and the church they were a part of uh, proposed at a business meeting that they wanted to buy a van. Mr. Owen did not think they needed a van. And he vehemently opposed the buying of a van and made that known to, the, to everyone. And so the church voted, and they voted to buy the van. And what did Mr. Owen do? Mr. Owen did not get mad and leave. He did not get mad and stop tithing. Mr. Owen bought the van. He paid for the whole thing. And that is an example of what I'm talking about, of submitting to one another. It is having a concern about the kingdom of God. It is having a devotion to the Lord, a devotion to the local church, a devotion to the mission of the church where we do nothing to hinder the unity of the church or the advancement of that church family. And we have a responsibility to be that devoted to the local church and use our gifts of service. <coughs> a final thing is this, and that is that church members must grow. We have, we have a responsibility to be involved in maintaining unity. We have a responsibility of devoted service in the local church. We have a responsibility to grow. That's what happens in the church. That's the purpose that God has. We're to glorify Him and we're to grow. Matter of fact, as we grow up in Christ, we glorify Him more. And there's three ways in which this happens in the church. Number one... <clears throat> through the truth of God's word. Now, I want you to look at with me in, in verse 13 real quick. <clears throat> till, <clears throat> till we all come to the union. Now, let me just back up for a second. The leadership of the church should be teaching. The teachers within the church should be teaching. So we're applying this truth to our lives, <clears throat> and here's the result of that. 
till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, can you see what's happening here? We're gaining a knowledge of Christ. We're growing up to a mature man. Let me tell you something about that word mature man there. That, <clears throat> those two words there uh, come from a Greek word that's singular. Now, now listen, what that means, he's, he's talking to the church here. So what he's saying is, as a whole, the whole church should be growing up together. Matter of fact, part of God's design for the people of God is for us to grow with other people. So we're, we're maturing in the faith together. And then he goes on to say, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That means when you start growing in the Lord, you quit being deceived by every false teaching that comes along. Every cultural teaching that blows, you don't get tossed away by it. Every false teacher that comes around and has a TV show or, or some book that he writes, you don't jump on that bandwagon and go off. You're solidly grounded in the faith because you've listened week after week to the teaching of the Word of God. It's grounded you in the Lord. You're growing up in Christ now with a sense of maturity. You recognize what is deceitful and what is wrong immediately. And then verse 15, he goes on to say in in, uh, in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. <clears throat> the truth of God is essential for growth. Secondly, love. <clears throat> in verse 2, verse 15, verse 16, love is mentioned. Now, you, you need love along with truth because truth without love can get harsh sometimes. Love without truth can compromise sometimes. You need biblical sacrificial love and you need truth. It's in the garden of truth and love that Christians grow up. And then third, everybody needs to do their part. Verse 16 says that... Um, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we grow up in the Lord by the truth of God, by loving one another properly, and by everybody doing their part. What an honor it is to be part of the family of God. Isn't it? What an honor it is. We have a responsibility to maintain unity. We have a responsibility of devoted service. We have a responsibility of growth in the church. So how are we doing with that? I'm thankful for every devoted church member in this congregation of believers. I wonder, could we say today that Deep down, you know that there's things going on in your life that's not really helping to endeavor to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Are there things happening in your life? Are you, are you angry at someone? Have you, have you held a grudge against someone? Do you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody right now? 
Do you enjoy talking about them? And you talk about them to others, and it kind of poisons how they view them? We need to stop that. But we need to confess that before God. We need to put a stop to that, put that to death. And we need to love one another the way we're called to love one another and, and, and maintain that spirit of unity. Are we serving? Are we using our gifts? <clears throat> we're we reaching our potential as a church family only by the level uh, of the number of people we have using their gifts in service. Are we growing? And so today maybe we need to confess some things or, or maybe we need to repent and, and, uh, and, and just turn away from some activity right now of hindering unity or sins of omission, not serving. Maybe today someone needs to repent and receive Christ as their Savior and become part of the family of God. You've never done that, and you need today to call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you need to be a part of this church. You want to identify with this church family. And maybe you just want to come and pray that we are the kind of church that we've just talked about this morning. So I'm going to ask us to pray and then stand to sing and then how God is leading us. I pray we'll obey Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord. <clears throat> I thank You for this, this message. I thank You for what You have taught me through this and what You've reminded me of. And now I pray, Father, that You've done the same with my brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Lord, there could be some here today that need to be saved, and You've told them that. You've spoke to them. They know it. You've stirred their hearts. And now they need to respond and receive Christ. Others, Lord, need to confess some things and get some things right with brothers and sisters so that there's no, there's no hindrance of unity in this body of believers. They're willing to admit things or just, or just turn things loose, Lord, today. I pray that will happen. I pray for you to just move upon hearts today to get people involved in serving. Be willing to use their gifts to advance the gospel here and help benefit others by using their gifts. Lord, may we be a faithful church family that is all about you. Because, Lord, you've taught me that church is about you first, and then about others, and then about me. And so I thank you, Lord, for your great word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.